Welcome again to worship at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Whether you're joining us online or here in the sanctuary, we are so glad you're with us this morning. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. Again, I'm Reverend Chris Jimerson, and it is a joy to be with you today. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, wherever you find yourself on your life's journey, whichever your pronouns, whether you've walked in or rolled in or transported in through virtual space, whomever you love, you are welcome here. You belong here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition, our living tradition, that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in the comments online or by turning to those around you here in the sanctuary. Good morning. My name is Gretchen Rail. I am the lay leader this morning, and I want to uh, invite you to join me in reading the words that we use to light our chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today is a quote from American author and cultural anthropologist Mary Catherine Bateson. She is the daughter of Margaret Mead. She considered herself an activist for peace and justice. We need to compose our lives in such a way that we both give and receive, learning to do both with grace, seeing both as parts of a single pattern rather than as antithetical alternatives. One of the things that binds First UU together as a religious community is that the congregation has a common religious purpose. For First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is our mission statement. The congregation wrote it together, and we put it on our wall in the sanctuary, and every Sunday, church participants say it together so that we might more readily remember it throughout the week. Let's say it together now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. I'm Stokes, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm going to read you a book today. I'd like to invite the kids and anyone who wants the best view of the pictures to come on up. Come sit up here with me. Today's book is called Peace is an Offering. Yes, an offering is giving someone something. That's exactly what I think, too. So an offering is when we we give a gift or we have something we want to share with someone. And so this title of this book, Peace is an Offering, makes it sound like peace is something we can give to each other, something we can generously give to each other. Let's see about the different ways that it shows us we can do that. Peace is an Offering by Annette LeBox and Stephanie Gregan. 
Peace is an offering, a muffin, or a peach. A birthday invitation, a trip to the beach. Peace is gratitude for simple things, light through a leaf, a dragonfly's wings, a kiss on the cheek, raindrops and dew, a walk in the park, a bowl of hot stew. Peace is holding on to another. Peace is the words you say to a brother. Will you stay with me? Will you be my friend? Will you listen to my story till the very end? Will you wait when I'm slow? Will you calm my fears? Will you sing to the sun to dry my tears? Will you keep me company when I'm all alone? Will you give me shelter when I've lost my home? You might find peace in a photograph or in the deep boom of a belly laugh. And even in the wake of tragedy, even then you might find her in the rubble of a fallen tower, in the sorrow of your darkest hour, in the hat of a hero, in the loss of a friend. Peace is a joining, not a pulling apart. It's the courage to bear a wounded heart. It's a safe place to live. It's the freedom from fear. It's a kiss or a hug when you've lost someone dear. So, offer a cookie. Walk away from a fight. That's not always easy to do, is it? Comfort a friend through the long, dark night. Sing a quiet song. Catch a falling star. May peace walk beside you wherever you are. Our reading today is a poem from white American poet Rosemary Watola Traumer. Ms. Traumer lives and works in Colorado. Her three-word mantra is, I'm still learning. This poem is titled, At the Market. Now, when I walk through the market, I think of how someone else here, beside the stir-fry cart and the tie-dye tent, has just lost a beloved and is hiding tears behind sunglasses. Not knowing who they are, I try to treat everyone with kindness. Meanwhile, the day is beautiful for everyone. No matter how broken, how whole our, how, no matter how broken, how whole our hearts, it gathers us all in a grand blue embrace. Part of me resists calling it a miracle. The other part calls it what it is and strolls through the miracle of Friday morning surrounded by arugula and strawberries, muffins, lilies, and all these other fragile hearts, all of us saying, excuse me, good morning, how are you? I'm fine. This is the time in our service when we center ourselves together 
we breathe together. And breathing together, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside. We sense one another's loving presence all around us, even through virtual space. Breathing in and breathing out, we enter into that deeper place inside of us, that place of greater wisdom, compassion, generosity, that space where a spark of the divine glows within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that we also hold sacred human sounds, including those of small children. Breathing in, breathing out, I invite you into that sacred silence together. I invite you now to light candles if you are so moved, candles representing sorrow, joy, remembrance, hope, resilience, whatever may be on your heart at this time. As we light our candles, I invite you to keep in your mind and heart members of our community who are ill or in sorrow, as well as those who are celebrating joys. Let us hold the silence together throughout this meditative time.
And now we light one last candle for all those for whom there is no one to light a candle. Radical generosity is a way of living, not of giving. I love that statement from author and philanthropy specialist Amy Campbell. I think it captures how, at its most quintessential level, generosity is essential to our very spirits. It's greater than a feeling of obligation to simply give of our time and treasure, though those are really important too and part of it, just so I don't get myself in trouble with our stewardship folks. (laughs) Spiritual generosity is about a way of being and of well-being. In fact, numerous studies have shown that it can improve our physical and mental health and even extend our lifespan. Now, I'll talk more about this idea that generosity is such a vital element of our spirituality. First, though, recently I was looking back through some of the reports from our interim ministers last year and thinking about some of the conversations I've had with Reverend Michelle, our current interim minister, and I was struck by what a spirit of generosity the folks in this church have already shown as we have been moving through this interim period. Now, if you're new with the church, I should explain that since the summer of 2022, the church has been in what is called an interim ministry period. Normally, our churches have one or more what are called called settled ministers, ministers who are intended to be with the church over the longer term. Here at First UU Austin, a much-loved such settled minister, Meg Barnhouse, had to retire in 2022 due to health reasons. Well, between settled ministers, specially trained interim ministers who aren't intended to stay with the church long-term help the church through a process of discerning its own identity, goals, and ministerial needs before the next settled minister is called. Called means invited into a longer-term ministerial relationship by an extra-supermajority of the congregation. (laughs) This congregation recently called me as their next settled minister. However, we're... However, we're still in an interim ministry period, at least in part, because the church is large enough to need two longer-term ministers. So, Reverend Michelle will be helping the congregation discern what else is needed and how that second ministerial position might be structured and get filled. Now... In addition to all that, our interim ministers have also been helping us work through the challenges all churches are facing now as we attempt to determine how best to offer spiritual community in this new world in which we find ourselves after the stay-at-home days of the pandemic. I'm already feeling a little exhausted and in need of some of that generosity of spirit. So let me just repeat 
The folks in this church have already offered up such generosity during this transition period. And I want to be sure to recognize some of our newer members who have joined right in during the transition with such generous spirits. Likewise, we can't offer enough gratitude to our church staff who have generously given of themselves as the transition added additional tasks and responsibilities for them. The transition has asked more of everyone in the church. You all were asked into numerous interim ministry sessions, discussions with the board and transition team, the ministerial search committee, me. Coming back in person after the pandemic created a lot of work reinvigorating and reimagining so many of our programs and ministries that had gone at least partially dormant. And raise your hand if you've lost count of how many surveys you were asked to fill out. (laughs) I see lots of hands going up. I can't tell you that we won't have any more surveys. In fact, we will. They are one way we're able to gauge our aspirations and progress as a religious community. I can promise you that the need for these surveys is higher right now in the interim period than it will be in more normative times. Thank you for your generosity of spirit in responding to them. An interim period is also one of experimentation. It's a time of trying on new ways of doing things and new ways of being. We do this at least in part to help congregations experience that there may be multiple perspectives on any given area of church life and many, many ways of living out transformative religion. So, for instance, you've experienced experimenting with the different elements of this, our worship service, and the ways in which those elements get ordered. You've experienced differing voices in our pulpit, the centering of voices other than white guys like me. After all, we've had the microphone for a while now, haven't we? Really, you've experienced at least some level of change or experimentation in just about every area of the church. And all of that change can be disconcerting, can't it? And it can also be transforming. Some things will work, some will not, but we will learn from it all. And once again, you all have approached all this change with extraordinarily generous spirits. Oh, and who's noticed that some of our services have gone longer than usual? (laughs) Come on, raise your hands. (laughs) Yeah, just about everybody. The interim period has often created the need for the board transition teams, the search team, and others to communicate more information of consequence than usual during normal worship services. Now, even in non-transition times, our services sometimes go longer than usual, especially during busy times of church life or when the religious topic requires a little more time to explore in depth. 
During this continuing interim transition time, services of about an hour will remain what we plan for typically. It's just the work of the transition itself can sometimes cause variances to happen more often than usual. Thank you again for the spirit of generosity you have been exercising. My favorite generous comment about this came from someone who said to me after service one Sunday, Well, I guess in the not-so-distant past, just the sermon in a Unitarian church would go for well over an hour. At least you shut up a lot sooner than that, Reverend Chris. May we also remember, as we think about diversity, that for many cultures, making the trains run exactly on time is just not that big a deal. And looking back at the interim ministry report from last year, there is already a wide range of diversity among us in so many areas. As one example, we already have a variety of preferences for different styles of worship. For instance, we have a number among us who prefer much quieter, more classical musical pieces during worship. Others, not so much. Conversely, we have many folks who love it when we rock out for our music. Others, not so much. And yet, yet we are finding the spiritual generosity to do both and more under one roof, sometimes during just one service. A lot of our folks love it all, and we have the director of music and the music team talented enough to do it all. We can be generous enough to keep talking And keep exploring so that we find ways for each and all of us to continue to experience spiritual transformation in worship and throughout the church. Maybe not despite these differences, but because of them. If we continue to keep our hearts in a holy place with one another. In those many surveys I mentioned earlier, we often said that we want diversity. Diversity requires valuing our differences, allowing them to encounter one another with a generosity of spirit within which all of us accept some change so that all of us may also be transformed. Now, I want to give you a personal example about all this, but in doing so, I want to emphasize that though my examples have involved music, this spiritual generosity that emerges through experiencing our differences is possible for us throughout the life of the church. So, I will confess that I have this involuntary, deep-seated aversion to music being played on an organ. (laughs) I think it may go back to my childhood in the tiny Southern Baptist church where a church volunteer would play our Sunday hymns on a cheap organ poorly. (laughs) 
hymns expressing a theology I find grotesque. I'm just guessing that might be the source. (laughs) Anyway, back before the pandemic, the church used to bring in this wonderful, versatile, and talented musician. And one of his many virtuoso abilities was playing the organ. And when he would play it here, I could tell how talented he was. I could hear how soaring the music he produced And I still couldn't help myself. Some small part of me still wanted to cry out, Please don't kill Jesus. (laughs) But then eventually, I started watching the faces of so many folks here in this sanctuary. And I could see the emotional and transformative impact that very same music was having for them. And in that way, I could find some degree of transformation myself and muster the generosity of spirit to keep my aversion at bay. We so often discover transcendence through one another. Well, that was more than I thought I would talk about the church and our interim process. I do think it's important, though, to pause every once in a while and review where we've been, where we are, and where we may be going. Even more so, I wanted you to know that you already hold within you that generosity of spirit which we're talking about today. So... What is this spiritual generosity of which I speak, and where does it arise? Well, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I do know that some concept of generosity of spirit is present in virtually all religions. Buddhism, for example, has the concept of dana the letting go of attachment, which is the source of all suffering, through giving to others. In fact, for Buddhism, dana is the first and prerequisite step in spiritual training and development. A commission of our own Unitarian Universalist Association of Churches has recently recommended an update to the covenant or promises we Unitarian Universalists within our broader faith make with one another. That recommended update is rooted in a set of spiritual values, one of which is stated, generosity. We cultivate a spirit of gratitude and hope. We covenant to freely and compassionately share our faith, presence, and resources. Our generosity connects us to one another in relationships of interdependence and mutuality. So, Spiritual generosity arises when we get this strong, expansive sense of our true interconnectedness. And I believe that that sense of mutuality is based, at least in part, 
on an understanding of our shared vulnerability. I love that our call to worship earlier spoke of learning to find grace in being able to give and to receive as part of a single pattern. We need one another. We cannot develop a truly generous spirit unless we're also able to ask for help ourselves when we need it. From this perspective, generosity of spirit arises out of saying yes to all of life, truth, love, Yes, to the eternal truth that our interrelationships are what is vital. Small acts of kindness, helping one another find peace even during the hard times, like in our story for all ages earlier or the beautiful poem Gretchen read for us, these small acts of kindness become paramount. In fact, I believe all acts of charity, large or small, to be spiritually generous must arise from this sense of interconnectedness and shared vulnerability. Let me close with this story I ran across of Peruvian novelist Isabel Allende who cared for her 28-year-old daughter, Paula, who became ill and fell into a coma. Isabel cared for Paula for over a year. Paula eventually died in Isabel's arms. Isabel says that during that time, she had to throw overboard all excess baggage and keep only what is essential. She says she had to learn to receive her own love for her daughter, even when she couldn't know if Paula was receiving that love. And having learned to claim her love for others as a gift to herself, she now centers her life in the ways of generosity large and small. She writes, Paralyzed and silent in her bed, my daughter Paula taught me a lesson that is now my mantra. You only have what you give. It's by spending yourself that you become rich. During this season of giving, may our hearts be in such a holy place. Please join me in reading the words that we use to extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. 
For our benediction today, I offer you words from one of my favorites, Unitarian Universalist minister and theologian, Rebecca Ann Parker. It's from Choose to Bless the World. You must answer this question. What will you do with your gifts? Choose to bless the world. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will. It is an act of recognition, a confession of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. May the congregation say amen Amen. and blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.